We back in the lab, we making some noise, so go turn your decibels up. Yeah. Black skin, white coat, oh no, who was nice as us? Made Jim really told us no limits, so we about to take this up. Went from mixing in the kitchen to the lab, and now nah, I can make this up. Be side, be scientist, be side, be scientist. We shining a light on the people of color to show them how fly it is. Be side, be scientist, be side, be scientist. We back in the lab with white coats on our back, trying to show what time it is. Hey. Welcome back to the B-Sciences Podcast, a podcast by the Black Science Coalition Institute, or B-Sci. When you hear this sound, that is our citation sound. So please go to bside.org backslash B-Scientist and find our citation archives where you can find all of our citations ever. And I am geoarchaeologist Jordan Chapman, and as always, we have the chemist, Jana Carpenter. <laughs> And today, we have a wonderful, inspiring <laughs> guest, the Dr. Chanel Tawson on the podcast. Hey, y'all. Hey, y'all. Hey. <laughs> Chanel is our is B-Size Science Policy Officer, and I'm going to give her a quick rundown because she already knows what she's done, but you guys need to know <laughs> how amazing she is. First of all, she is the author of Know the Little Sciences. She is a science communicator, and you should check her out on Stembassy on YouTube. She is part of STEM Noir. She's a cell and molecular biologist with degrees in biology and biology, biochemistry, and bioinformatics. She has an MS in molecular biology, and her doctor PH is in epidemiology and global health. And she just launched her own chocolate company called Simplicity Chocolate. And I have to, the first, the very first question is, did I get everything? <laughs> and what did I miss? Um, well, let's see. So um, NPR Science Communicators, <laughs> that's new too. Um, that's, that's fun. That's fun. Um, you know, there's so much going on. There's so much going So you hacking me up now. You hacking me up. You trying to gas me. You trying to gas me. <laughs> but there's so much going on and I'm just happy to be a part of all of it. I'm happy to be among the number of um, black women scientists who are considered um, incredible enough to be heard because we're all so very incredible in our, in our own way and we all have our own uh, niches and I'm just happy to be included in that number that somebody wants to hear what I have to say and that they find value in my science and my SCICOM and my public health um, efforts. So it's just, I'm, I'm happy to be part of that. Um, and just in case, uh, so I don't have to introduce her later on, I'm pretty sure my boss is going to fly through here in a little bit because <laughs> she could not handle not having the attention on her. So if you see a tail <laughs> swiggling through, <laughs> it's my boss, just so you know. <laughs> no, that's fair. That's dope. <laughs> What's your boss's name? Like, yeah, is she no, called her boss? Her name is or... Yaya Shantiwa from the Ashanti tribe, but Yaya for short. Dope. That's I love that. <laughs> <laughs> and she lives up to it. She's definitely, she's, she's queening. She's queening. She runs, she, she runs everything. Well, now I oh, hope she makes goodness. an appearance. Where's Moon at, Jenna? Yeah, she, she, she didn't want the spotlight. Oh, today. Okay. She said, you know, today's not about me. And I was like, wow, that's, I'm, an, I'm proud of you. You know, baby stuff. She's grown up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I'm so excited to have you on board. Um, you are in so many aspects of 
science communication. And oftentimes when Jordan and I are talking about, you know, especially public health issues, especially with our current pandemic, COVID-19, it's always a little difficult coming from such a a science-based background to effectively communicate how that, you know, uh, affects us in our day-to-day life. So it's so great to have you on board because I feel like you can more effectively communicate, you know, how important it is to wear a mask, right? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So I'm really excited. Yeah, especially with my shirt. Just like in my shirt. Yes, love it. That's a dope shirt. Wearing a mask. (laughs) <laughs> you gotta stay six feet away. Can you read that Neck shirt for us? Yes, it says stay six feet away and wear your fucking mask. <laughs> thank you. Public service announcement. Just a little public service announcement for the people in the back that might and the not doctor have heard. herself. <laughs> Please listen to it. And mess in a bottle. The shirt is by mess in a bottle. Nice. <laughs> so that leads to the next question, which is yeah. How did you start getting into science policy? So science policy just comes really natural to me because of the to make sure that I'm taking complex science concepts and bridging them to public health. And when you explain those nuances to people, they start to connect the dots and understand how important basic things like hand washing are to reducing the spread of disease. They understand how important things are like maintaining a healthy diet are with preventing certain diseases. So I think that science policy falls naturally into that because we get into the deeper issues like health disparities. When we get into things like the things that affect the diaspora, particularly, we have to go back to policy. Like there are policies in place that make it so. There are certain things that the diaspora suffers from. And it's not because we are ignorant. It's not because we're stupid. There are actually policies in place that make these things so. And so it just, it's natural. So well, I actually wanted to ask you about, you just got featured for SciComm for Everyone recently. What was that like? Yes. And how did you get involved? So SciComm for Everyone actually reached out to me to ask me if I would um, answer some questions they had about, you know, my SciComm, my background in science and, and how I see things. So it was a no brainer. It was a no brainer when I said, do you want to be involved? I was like, absolutely. So um, that was fun. That was fun getting to share bits and pieces about my psychom and again, science and what I do, what I think is important, what I'm up to next, my experiences in science. That was super fun. Um, we'll definitely do it again. So if anybody else wants to collaborate or to, to work with me, I'm definitely open to it. I'm super available for a collaboration with other scientists. That's also a part of psychom as well. I am wondering, can you take us back to the beginning when you first realized you were going to be a scientist? Because I'm sure that there were, was either because for some people it's like a specific moment but for other people it's like just a lifetime of like I I always wanted to do this so I'm kind of wondering like what was your story and how you got into it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. funny that you say that because that is exactly how it happened for me um if my grandparents would tell you they would say since I was knee high to a grasshopper because you know we country and that's how we do things but so but that's exactly how it happened I was a kid and um, I was walking around. So when I was a kid, when Bugs Bunny and the Roadrunner and Yosemite Sam, when all that was on, you know, doctors that were on cartoons had that the big reflector piece on there. It's like a headband with the big shiny reflector piece. And then they had these little black bags. And I had that as a kid. I had, I had a little kit. 
just a little black bag and it had syringes in it and it had um, dinosaur band-aids and I had Flintstone vitamins and um, I had orange Tic Tacs for my medicine. So if you got a boo-boo or owie, you got a dinosaur band-aid, the colorful kind too, they were colorful ones. You got a colorful dinosaur band-aid and you got a Tic Tac. You take two when you call me in the morning because I was a doctor, right? But, but see, it, so here's the thing about that too. You couldn't have the white ones, the minty ones, those didn't work. It had to be the orange Tic Tacs. It had to be the orange Tic Tac. And if you had another kind of Tic Tac, I'd be like, no, that's not gonna work. So, I mean, it was just, it's always kind of been innate to me. I've always done that kind of stuff. And I was outside, I was, you know, making mud pies, playing in the grass, climbing trees, getting dirty. Like I was just one of those kids. So I was always kind of into like, oh, what's this? I was doing all kinds of stuff. But my mind was always like, what if? What if? What if? And it just got to the point that I was doing that so much, people around me just kind of like, let me do it. You know what I mean? And it, it got to the point where my dad, so I would watch a lot of Sesame Street too. And um, cause you know, I knew the whole rundown, you know, grandma's watching stories, but I knew that it was two Sesame Streets and a Mr. Rogers before the stories came on. Like I knew the schedule. And so TV was not something that, you know, really wanted your kids to do. But what he saw was that I was learning. And so they didn't pull me from it, which was really interesting. Like talking to him as I got older, and as he said, yeah, you were in front of the TV a lot. He says, but I saw what you were watching. I was watching um, the Nature Channel, not the Nature Channel. What was it before? Uh, PBS, before, you know, I knew what cable was. PBS had a lot of different things on there. I was always watching it. I was watching MathNet. I was watching, I'm sorry, DragNet. I was watching all kinds of stuff. But he saw what I was watching. I wasn't really into, kind of like cartoons, of course. But I was into things that other kids weren't really into. He's like, okay, well, just let her go. Let's see what happens. And then, you know. Boom. Scientist. <laughs> That's amazing. Was it, so you mentioned Sesame Street mm-hmm. and a couple other ones. Mm-hmm. Which one was your favorite? Mr. Rogers. Okay. I really so. liked Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. And then when we got cable, I really liked watching um, Animal Planet. I really enjoyed yeah. that. You know, so for a long time, I thought I was going to be a marine biologist for a long time. So I like to watch the, um, the jellyfish. And I think I was like the only kid that knew what a, a man of war, a Portuguese man of war was because... <laughs> You know, I watch things like that. Like, who can say that, you know, when you're like five? But anyway, so <laughs> I, I just, I've always been into stuff like that. You know, the sciencey stuff, the nerdy stuff. And then back when um, TLC was all that stuff, the surgeries, I would watch all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. It was awesome. I would eat and watching it. They're like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, you know, but now you know what I do? Okay, shh, you know what I do? I'm a big fan of the pimple popping videos. I love watching mm. abscesses. I love watching like the, the gooier it is, the more kind of like, <laughs> I'm gonna respectfully I mean, disagree, but I know you kind of do that stuff anyway, but so I understand. I, I am gonna have to say that I agree. I, I got very into the Dr. Pimple Popper mm-hmm. like thing. <laughs> it's so satisfying. Mm-hmm. I can't explain to mm-hmm. you why. I'm sure there's some evolutionary gene that tells me why i like watching that but i'm in the same boat as you <laughs> i mean you're both in like medicine kind of so it mm-hmm. makes sense honestly like mm-hmm. i'm sure like if i like put out a like a bunch of rocks you guys would probably just be like i don't i don't care jordan i'm saying <laughs> i just don't care yeah <laughs> i mean cool you know that's what you yeah, like exactly. to do <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm my thing, my thing. Like, yeah, like, cause, like, they have some really nice, like, thin sections of rock. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. I'm sure you're like, 
Nah, I don't. I don't get that. It's nothing. It's it's just a rock. I understand. But we know, obviously, since since yeah. we all talk to each other and and engage in discussion, that there is importance to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and kind of going back to your backstory, uh, Dr. Chanel, I absolutely can empathize with your backstory with like you know being the doctor, um, playing doctor because I I definitely used to try to do that. I would you know try to make my mom like the soup the canned chicken noodle soup the perfect you know balance between all right I'm gonna add this much water because you'll get more concentrated chicken broth and (laughs) all this craziness so I I love that that, that's your backstory (laughs) that's great (laughs) but a little syringe too the little syringe with the little orange (laughs) oh yeah you can see it move when you press it (laughs) <laughs> yep and they used to play along with me too they would say oh ooh, that hurts so much ooh. and I'd be like it's okay it's, it's for the greater <laughs> yeah. good you know <laughs> and you know actually that kind of leads yeah. into a question I had is because you know surrounding COVID-19 now and we have this new rollout of yes vaccine I have a- yeah I want to I want to hear yeah. your viewpoint on that I'm sure you have a lot to say about it so I do I do and I don't. I'm actually working with uh, Quartz Magazine. They actually are interested in my opinions too. So I'm not going to go too far into it because I need to leave something for the readers of of Quartz. But what I'm going to say is um, when the piece does come out in Quartz Magazine, it is going to focus on my point of view and my point of view as one, being a Black scientist, two, being a Black person that lives in, you know, I'm a member of the diaspora, three, atrophobia. And for those of you who don't know what that is, that is the legitimacy um, of fear of doctors and big pharma, government, and all that kind of stuff. It's going to focus on that. Uh, can you repeat that word for me? Atrophobia. Yeah. And if that's a big deal for the diaspora. And so when the article comes out, I'm going to focus on my viewpoint on that, especially when it comes to the COVID vaccine, because I think what we're seeing Black people are afraid to get the vaccine because historically they have no reason to trust any of these, the government medicine or and and it sounds really bad there have been times when black people have been used as the pusher of certain things that have been detrimental to us so i mean i think the article when it comes together is going to be pretty interesting and my perspective is um out of the diaspora i too am on the fence what's the best thing for us in the community but i do want to say that i think it's important that we understand the pros and the cons i do think it's important that we move with the corrective and we don't dig in we have the facts and that we put those facts over our fear i think it, i think it's so important that we focus on that yeah i agree i i really think that um there's absolutely a legitimate um fear of healthcare in general amongst uh, people of color especially um because the history is so rich you know it's not like it's unfounded like you can google you know uh ineffective healthcare of of people of color into Google and you'll get, you know, so many millions of hits because it's, it's, it's a, like deeply within our history. And uh, I recently looked at uh, an article that focused on Georgia's maternal mortality rates. And it mm-hmm. turns out that Georgia is one of the worst cases of uh, maternal mortality in the nation, you know, and especially across the board, across all 50 states, women of color are often mistreated and have a higher mortality rate when it comes to 
going into labor or just healthcare in general being misdiagnosed. And, you know, I recently saw that, you know, even in medical schools, they have these different levels of, of understanding pain for people of color and especially black women, which I think is crazy. And I just, I don't know how to kind of parse through that, but what have been your experiences with kind of like bridging that gap with, you know, how you engage with people and understanding public health and things like that? That's the wildest thing that even today, medical students, when they did a degree of pain factors, when it came to African-Americans, they believed things like African-Americans have thicker skin. They believe that African-Americans have a higher uh, pain threshold, a higher tolerance for pain so that we don't feel things when other people feel them. And I'm just like, this is wild. This is wild that we're in the 21st century and these things, people still believe these things and they're in medical school. The place where you should learn <laughs> about the fundamentals of, of human body. And, and to me, that just signals that in the, in the institutions where you are supposed to be learning about the foundation of the human body in respect to, you know, anatomy, physiology, pharmaco um, I'm sorry, pharmacology, and how things work in the body and just, you know, surgeries. When you think about all those things that they're learning about and people still think that one set of humans responds differently than another set of humans based on, I'm just going to say based on what? We're, we're comparing humans versus humans. But Black humans thicker skin. Black humans don't feel pain. But there's, there's some things that just don't connect for me. That doesn't connect for me. I don't understand how that's possible. In institutions where we should be learning about humans. Yeah, I think but, it's really you know, scary to think that, you know, whenever I think about going to a hospital, like, you know, and I don't mind just sharing my personal story, but whenever I seek gynecological health care, I don't, I don't really trust just going to a doctor, right? So like, mm -hmm. I, I'm from Savannah, Georgia, and I still travel. I live in Athens now to go to school at UGA, but I still travel back to Savannah to go see my OBGYN because I just don't trust the healthcare system because mm -hmm. it's, been, it's failed mm -hmm. me so many times. And so it's kind of crazy to think, you know, especially with like pockets of rural communities that have to travel out for healthcare already to think that I have to drive four hours just to get what I feel is decent healthcare and someone that I actually can trust to not misdiagnose mm -hmm. or not tell me that my pain is, is real. <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of scary. And, you know, if I, mm -hmm. or play I down your symptoms. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's so. interesting um, that you're saying that, you know, because um, recently I got into a conversation with some anthropologists about how, one, Black people and people within the African diaspora have almost been treated as, quote unquote, the football. And I wish I remember who was saying this to me, because I would definitely give you that shout out, because that was a great way to put it. But basically, like the football of science in that we get punted around a lot. We get, oh, you know, let's see how this community, like this predominantly African or Black community is dealing with this. And then, you know, during, you know, scientific enlightenment, it's like, oh, well, let's see how they're different from white people or something like that. And then 
in response once um, black people and other people within the diaspora got into the fields of science as those barriers started to quote unquote come down that we started to use scientific methods to fight against those biases that were they were already bringing in so we became the protectors of those things like hey you're saying that we don't feel this like we do one obviously but then two it's like you're using all of these weird measurements to try to make these really broad and unscientific points about how people are different and it's not that people are aren't different it's that you're doing it in such a biased way that it's not holding up scientifically so it's really interesting that you're saying exactly exactly and that's exactly what i meant it's not that of course it makes sense that certain people respond differently to certain treatments of course it makes sense but it doesn't make sense that there's no scientific basis to back that up you're exactly right yeah that's and it's crazy because i mean i'm not I mean, I have no experience in like, I don't have as much experience in biological anthropology, but even like in archaeology, I think, and even in geology, you know, it's, it's very clear that people feel that way sometimes. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's ridiculous. I agree. Yeah. And especially, so I didn't know this until Jenna mentioned it. I didn't know that Georgia was actually at the bottom of that list. I didn't realize, you know, how significant that she was in Georgia, but she's from now that Black women um, are at the bottom of the list when it comes to survivability in childbirth. You know, and it, it, that is, does not take into black women. Women who are wealthy, but who are black, still have um, lower survivability rates when, in childbirth compared to their white uh, peers or any other race. I mean, it, it's, it's bad, it's bad, but it's very, very real. So this is, and then going back to the question that you asked originally, when it comes to atrophobia or the COVID thing, when it comes to the mistrust that we have as a diaspora, this is not something that is a new concept. You know, our parents talk about it. Grandparents talk about it. For me, I was lucky enough to have men grew up with my great grandparents. They talked about it. So this is not something that is new. It's not a novel concept, you know, so you really can't help but to give credence, to give significance to the fact that these are facts and that black people, people within the diaspora really do have significant um, cause of concern. Yeah, I know for me, especially, I, I've been having a lot of, a lot more conversations with my family, you know, when it comes to like, should I, should I actually trust this vaccine? You know, people coming to me yeah. for advice. It's really strange to be in that position because, you know, I'm still having to work through my own, you know, trauma of, you know, yeah. do I even accept, you know, healthcare as it is? Which I mean, of course, that gets very dicey and, and and complicated. But I'm glad that I have the education that I do because I can answer these questions in a mm-hmm. way that, like, I can scientifically come at this in a way that makes sense. And you know, maybe it's a little harder to bridge that gap between the science and and communicating it to my family, right? But at least I can make sense of it to them. You know, this this can be something that will help in the long run and, you know, not to be so afraid, mm-hmm. but to also legitimize that fear because, you know, it, it's something that we do need to discuss as a whole. So it's, it's so complicated. Mm-hmm. It's very complicated. It's, and that's a, a line. And I think that's, you know, why, you know, again, with the courts article, it's so important to talk about this because there's a fine line. Like I'm a black person. I'm a member of the diaspora. I understand how very real this is. I'm a trained scientist. Very fine line of where, you know, your experience and your training, they, they, they mesh, but there's still a, a, although the divide is small, it's still, for me, it's a great divide. I, I am in conflict 
with what I know to be true and what I've what I've been trained in and and understand as a, as a as a scientist. Those are great points. You've been talking a lot about all these systematic problems that our community goes through in science and med and medicine, and you've done so much work on trying to fight against that system. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering. And kind of the same, in, in, along the same lines that I asked earlier about, was there a specific moment when you realized you wanted to become a scientist? Was there a specific moment that you realized that you could make a difference and that you as not just a scientist, but as someone within the community could go out and make sure that our community could be educated on these things and that you were gonna go after those things and fight against that system? Yes. Okay. Well, I went to undergrad in Baltimore County. I went to grad school in Baltimore City. And so you see a lot of things being in Baltimore. Uh, so one of the things that really gave me pause, and this is particularly just from my experience being in Baltimore and the city, your zip code determines your life expectancy. And so if you live in a certain zip code in Baltimore City, you are guaranteed to live, I believe, um, seven to 10 years less, I believe, than someone who lives in a, in a well-to-do zip code. And I think that, I mean, that could change, you know, since the, the data that I, I saw when I was, you know, in school, but just like, it's a stark difference. The, the contrast is just so different. And, and that's when I realized, and then I started looking at things that affect these two different populations, right? And then I, I ran into issues like with STDs. You know, there are a lot of people in Baltimore City. And I, when I was doing my master's thesis discussing STDs and uh, the rates of Baltimore City amongst a certain population, youth, right? And so I looked at uh, correlations and, and affinities between having had a education in, I'm sorry, in STDs and, and sex ed and outcomes. So I went to one of the clinics in Baltimore City and I, we did surveys and there was some open-ended questions. And just looking at it, there are people that go to the clinic as their OBGYN care because they don't have a primary care physician. You know, so now we got to talk about things like policy and things like education. And, and so when I say that policies are one of the things that affect the disparities, I'm speaking from what's happening. You know, so policies like, it's not mandatory that you have certain classes in school. You know, if you look at certain cities where you are, the age of the dropout rate, where you're able to drop out of school legally are lower in some areas. So for some students, they may have dropped out of school before they were mandated, before they had the opportunity to take things like sex ed. But, but then you add into things like people don't have a primary healthcare physician. They're going to a clinic for their primary needs and they don't go until something's wrong. So there's, there's an odor, there's an itch, there's, a, there's something happening. And so they're going because they are already exhibiting symptoms. There's no preventive care when it comes to that, either because they're impoverished and can't afford it, or two, they just don't know that that's the way that things work. Having a doctor for them, when you ask them who their doctor is, they'll say, Miss so-and-so down the clinic. You know, so, and, and those, that's not to shade, that's not to, to diminish anyone's experience. That's just to highlight and bring to light, these are the experiences that people are having. And that's a very real thing that needs to be discussed. So I think that in that process of learning things like that, or with understanding that people are having to go into heart medications or are experiencing diabetes in the city at, at younger ages, you know, people in their twenties are experiencing diabetes and, and heart problems. And it's like, what's happening? But then you look at what's happening with um, not being able to get meals because either they're impoverished or, you know, maybe their parent is working 
12 hour shifts. And so they're not home during the hours where a, a kid would need to eat something. So they leave them a couple of dollars. They're going to the corner store and they're having hot Cheetos and a grape soda for breakfast, you know, or the only real meal they have is going to school. When they go home, there's no one there to cook for them. So, you know, there, there's things like just basic nutrition. There's certain things that are just fundamental to being a healthy person overall. And when you are someone who hasn't experienced that, you can't help not to be able to avoid an unhealthy outcome. So when I realized that things like that were happening and they were very real and they were not uncommon, they were commonplace, I think that's what kind of gave me the jumpstart that says, you know what, some things like just educating people, the difference between a bacterial STD and a viral STD. Some people still don't understand that, you know, if you get herpes, you can't go down to the clinic and get a shot of penicillin and it's gone. Some folks still don't understand that concept. It's viral, it'll be there, you know, until, until you leave here, it'll be here. Um, certain things like understanding that if you're a diabetic, whether you eat a cupcake or a carrot, your body converts sugar. So cars run on gas, humans run on sugar, glucose, right? So whether you eat a carrot or a cupcake, it's the same thing. That's why your pancreas gets involved. Or, you know, then we, we get things like, you know, and it sounds complicated. And the doctor tells them, you can't eat this. You can't like, you know, no more fried chicken. You know, no more, no more greens with pork in them. You can't eat, you can't eat these things. You know, no more candy yams. And in the diaspora, certain things are cultural, you know? So Sundays at the church, if you go, that's what you're having. You're having the fried chicken. You're having candy yams. You're having Sunday dinner. And we know what that means to us. So to say that someone can't have that is telling them that they can't have their culture. That's what we do. And we do it in big gatherings. So instead of do, saying things like that, you can't have that every Sunday, you know? Or maybe don't have so much of that. Because again, when you eat a carrot or a cupcake, your body converts to sugar. So things like breads and potatoes, you know, the complex carbs, all of a sudden break down the same way. So I'm not saying that it's the wrong thing to do. I'm saying maybe the, their approach is not as culturally competent as it could be. And by educating someone and telling them, hey, you don't have to stop cold turkey, but let's gradually make these changes. You know what I mean? Instead of putting them on medications like statins that don't work for the diaspora, you know, or instead of, you know, telling them they got to go run five miles a week. Start by saying, hey, you know what? On Mondays and Wednesdays, try walking around your block one time. When you come back in for your next visit, let's talk about it. So gradually introducing new behavior changes will lead to healthy habits. And of course, healthy habits lead to different health outcomes. But again, I'm not saying that approach is the wrong approach. I'm just saying that we have to, we have, to have some cultural competency when we're talking to people. We can't just jam things down people's throats. Because again, it's about culture. It's about what's the norm. But we can change behaviors. We can change behaviors in a positive way by educating people and by connecting the dots. Because when someone understands something, they're more likely to do it. But you can't shout out directions to somebody and like, well, they're not listening. Or what is the word that I like to use? Um, patients are non-compliant. And I think that's something that is also um, a part of medical racism as well. Because I don't think people understand Non-compliance is not just because someone doesn't want to do it, but if they don't have the means to do it. Again, we get into policy. Maybe, the, and when we get into public health, we call these barriers, right? There's certain barriers that certain groups of people have that others don't, you know? So, and I don't want to get off on a tangent. That was a lot to say, but I wanted to connect the dots there that you go, when you talk about things like, you know, so when you talk about health education with people and, and you meet them where they are and you have cultural competency, you can actually see some changes. 
You see things like reduced A1C levels in diabetics. You see things like a weight loss. You see things like a lower lipid level in someone who has high cholesterol because you're talking to them and meeting them where they are. So yes, it's important. I think it's super important. Um, I'm glad that I got into it. And again, I'm really glad that there are people that want to see what I have to say. They're interested in what I have to say and that it's actually helping people. I hope that makes sense. Did that make sense? Oh no, that was Absolutely. amazing. <laughs> that was, I mean, it w- that was standing ovation level explanation. Thank you. <laughs> amazing. And you, you touch on all of the things that run through my mind, but I don't think about being like compounding factors to healthcare. And you touched on all of them, especially, you know, just simply representation in these areas and having someone like yourself be that voice in science policy that people can actually hear and understand and, and like implement because it, it is so important to have representation in these areas because without it, you know, like you're saying, like, you know, these things kind of just, you know, go, go across people's heads and they don't even realize how something as simple as meeting someone where they're at, like you said, can really change someone's life. So, I don't know. I just wanted to say that because mm-hmm. that was really important and really touched me because I think it's so true to where our healthcare is right now. So, <laughs> yeah. Can I add one more thing to that? And because I, I want to make sure that we understand something else too when it comes to non-compliance. For example, let's say you have someone who is a diabetic, right? And so, of course, we know A1C levels are what they use to keep um, keep a track on how we're regulating that. So usually that's something that's done every three months, right? Three or four months, you get your levels checked. So let's say you have a follow-up appointment, right? Let's say you have a follow-up appointment, you know, in, in three months. And then you also see someone about your heart medicine, right? And, and so maybe let's, let's just say every 60 days, you got an appointment. You live in an urban area, but you don't have a car. So someone has a car that needs to get, you know, downtown, might take them 20 minutes from where they are in a car. If you're taking public transport, a 20 minute commute might take you an hour, hour and a half. So what if you're also a working person, right? So now what could have been a lunch break visit to the doctor's office, you don't have to take off half a day. And because you have, an, have a, a maintenance factor here, so you have to make sure that you're maintaining your appointments and coming back often. What about the people who aren't able to do that every 60 days, 90 days, 120 days, take off a half a day just to keep up with their own healthcare. So there are just, there's barriers all over the place. And again, this is about cultural competency because then you have someone that misses their appointment and they're doing it a lot, maybe because they can't get off of work. They can't afford to lose a half a day's work, you know, to come into the doctor's office. So now you have in their chart, their diabetes is uncontrolled or not maintained because they're non-compliant. There's no, there's no follow-up. So I want to make sure that when we say anything on compliance, we're understanding the context of what some of those things mean. That's super important to understand about what we mean when we say non-compliance. And then we talk about things like medical or health literacy. Like I just said, whether you're eating a, a carrot or a cupcake, cars run on gas, humans run on sugar. Whether you eat a carrot or a cupcake, your blood sugar is going to spike either way because you just ate something. That's how, that's how it works. So when you talk to someone telling them they have diabetes, are you telling them what they can and can't eat? What's good, what's a better choice for them? What's not a better choice for them? Are you talking about what they, are you just saying you can't have this, you give them a list of things. So you can't do this and this and this. When you talk to them about high cholesterol, are you using terms like hyperlipidemia? 
Or are you saying, hey, you have some bad deposits in your arteries? Like, what are you, what are you telling people when you tell them you need to get more exercise? Are you telling them, man, Dr. Tomei had to go run a marathon? Like, you know, think about how what you're saying is being perceived and what medical literacy or health literacy looks like for some people. Everyone doesn't have literacy. Everyone doesn't have those, that vocabulary. So how are you communicating? And again, here we go with SACOM. How are you communicating health to people that you deal with? It's super important when we talk about things like uh, medical and health literacy and things like uh, compliance and non-compliance. Super important. But I want to make sure we highlight that too so we understand what that looks like. It's not always what you think. People don't choose, you know, to not listen. There's barriers to, to certain things. Yeah. I, no, that makes perfect sense. Sorry. And like just you saying a lot of that stuff makes a lot of sense. Because one thing you've said in our board meetings um, is like um, recently you said something like you might not think it's science policy, but it probably is. Mm-hmm. And you were talking about transportation. And that's something that I think is I, I when I was young, like my thing was trains, like to always like because we were lived kind of close to 30th Street Station in um, in Philly. So I could see like the Amtrak trains coming into the station sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'd always like those were probably my first science questions. Like, mom, how do the trains work? And she's like, I don't know. And this is just like. I, I let's go watch Thomas the Tank Engine or something like and then we'll figure that out but <laughs> like so I'm thinking so I've always had like this obsession of like with like public transportation and stuff and thinking about like what you're saying like how even public transportation contributes to these problems because public transportation doesn't isn't set up for people in the city all the time it's set up so people from the suburbs can come into the city and then it, so that makes a lot of sense when you say well that's a barrier now so if you mm-hmm. have a problem and you can't catch a bus or a sub to get mm-hmm. to your doctor's office then that makes a lot of sense mm-hmm. and then that also moves into something else we discussed too at the board meeting during we discussed things like environmental policies right so that's also a, a health disparity and, and health issue so you think about places that um that have bus stops right in front of residential areas so you're a houses in front of the bus stop we've all seen buses and the black smoke that comes out so now we get into air quality issues you know so what, what correlation is there I mean of course I know that there's a correlation but I'm just saying in general for someone who might not be familiar what's the correlation between air quality and the incidence rate of asthmatics in those areas where the bus stop is right where your kids are playing outside your house you know what about the air quality overall what about in the summertime when it gets hot we don't know how heat expands things again we're talking about stem concepts but when you get into to health and then and policies and science policies, these things are all interconnected. So it's important that when it comes to things like policy, that we have access to communicate with policymakers. So they understand going to vote on things, when they're going to put forth legislation, that they understand why these things are important to their constituency. 100% agree. Amazing. If you're, uh, if you're wondering um, to the listener, if you're wondering why Chanel is so good at explaining these things, one, it's just because she's amazing. But two is that Chanel used to teach, right? So, so I'm also adjunct faculty. And, and yes, I teach science and, and health concepts and all that kind of good stuff. Yes, yes, I am. I'm Moonlight is an adjunct. <laughs> right. So that's why she's so good at teaching us about all these different things and like making all these different connections, because this is what she she is just that good. Everybody. I, it's, it's, I just it's no other way to say it besides she's just that damn good. And not only that, you know, you speak in a way that's approachable. So I don't feel like I can't ask you a question about something because I I'll feel, you know, stupid about asking it. But you're Absolutely so approachable not. at the same time, which I think is so amazing for someone who's an educator and a communicator in, in the STEM field. So kudos to you. <laughs> Yay. But, and that means a lot because that's my goal. 
my goal is to make things like complex STEM concepts and relating them to public health and, and, and healthy behaviors and, and, you know, and increased um, good health outcomes. Thank you so much, because that reinforces me that, okay, I need to continue with the same methods, you know, because I think that being a science communicator is important, but especially in public health, you know, what good do your words do if they can't understand you? You know, like Ms. Badu said, you know, what good is it? What good if you're talking some good stuff, but can't nobody say what you're saying, right? So thank you for reaffirming that. And I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. <laughs> Jordan's <Yeah>. laughing. <laughs> And I guess yeah, I have my like, mic on you, but man, listen, <laughs> amazing. Anytime we can bridge a barrier about you with science, I'm a happy camper. Right. Uh, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And again, meeting people where they are. The fact that you understood where I was coming from is like, see, that's why I do this. That's why I do it the way I do it. Because you, you understood exactly what I meant when I said what I said. Yes. There's no miseducation about this. So. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> anyway, oh my god! But to kind of bring it back to something even more lighter, you know, I we haven't touched on all of the aspects of of your work, especially mm-hmm. your chocolate company. I would oh. love to hear more about that. Because, okay, so I mean, as okay, so basically, Simplicity Chocolate Company is uh, my new baby, and what it is is it's chocolate that is grown by farmers that look like us in Ghana. It is harvested by people that look like us in Ghana. It is manufactured by people like us in Ghana. It's straight from uh, the motherland and it's some of the best chocolate in the world, you know, that comes from Africa. And, but um, and particularly Ghanaian chocolate is, is really good chocolate. It's a gourmet quality. It's not watered down. Um, I offer five flavors, um, mocha chocolate, mocha chocolate with almonds, 73% dark chocolate with sea salt, sent dark chocolate with almonds and white chocolate. And so in each of those five flavor offerings that uh, we offer, there's less, there, there's equal to or less than five ingredients in each of them. So two of them are, are vegan. Those are the dark chocolate options. The rest do contain dairy. But for me, what's important about this, um, this new project is that the dollars are being recycled you know, within, within the diaspora. Everybody is, is getting paid one, a fair wage, you know, um, they're all being paid for, for the work and the love that they do, but it's staying in the community. And then you're also making sure that you're providing people with a steady job, you know, so it's not just creating jobs, but keeping them able to feed themselves and their families. That's super important to me, but the gourmet quality, let's talk about what it tastes like. So yummy, so yummy. I think that people, so, Simplicity chocolate is for like the sophisticated palate, for like a, a true chocolate lover. You have to love chocolate, okay? Because it is real chocolate. There's no hydrogenated oils or vegetables. The only plant fat that's in this is the actual cocoa butter, you know, from the, the seed of the, the cocoa plant. So there's nothing else added. There's nothing, there's nothing artificial. There's no preservatives. There's an expiration date on my chocolate because it will expire because it's real chocolate but it's so good, it melts great, and it's good for everything. So, you know, personally, personally, I wouldn't mind, you know, for some celebrity, I wouldn't mind like a celebrity, you know, picked it up and said, hey, for my next party, you know, put these in our swag bags. Cause you know, the Grammys and everything, he's really intricately playing bags with all these, like they put like Rolexes and everything in there. I wouldn't mind having my chocolate in there cause it's gourmet quality. I mean, it's great, it's really good. I don't know if Beyonce is listening, but like, listen, like, 
please give Chanel a call. Like, just you call know, because of that, um, please. We are on <laughs> award shows. Yes, everybody. Uh, but yes, you know, you go to a wedding, they give away, you know, candy, give, give a chocolate bar, give each of your guests a gourmet chocolate bar, you know, ask some gourmet to your special day. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Ask some gourmet to your special day. <laughs> <laughs> and now she rapping. <laughs> a oh, woman of many talents. I'm so corny. <laughs> I'm so corny sometimes. <laughs> but you know, it's good for everything. Um, parties, I just found out. I use covered strawberries and pretzels and things like that in it. So she said it melts really good and it tastes really great. So she's also added gourmet flavor to her line of uh, confection. I mean, it's just, it's good for anything. Give it as a gift. Give it for Valentine's Day. Give it for birthdays. Um, moms, I have a new box. I have a new box, uh, trademark forthcoming. It's called the Sweet Chocolate Nostalgia. And it's a box that has all five flavor offerings of my chocolate. On top of it, there's a layer of a dozen red paper roses. But when you're done eating the chocolates, right? I call it the nostalgia box because when you lift the roses out, there's like a little, there's a space to hold like all your little nub notes. So remember when you, you know, were in high school or whatnot and you get a little love note from that, from that guy and, or y'all went on a date, you took the napkin, right, Jana? Maybe the, the movie ticket, you know, from a date. You keep things like that, right? And so we had these little keepsake boxes. And so I've used that for inspiration for the new product that I have um, that's coming really soon. And it's called the Simplicity Chocolate Nostalgia Box. So once you're done eating all the chocolate, that's the gift. Um, you can remove the roses and start putting all your little your little love notes. You know, get that that old feeling back. You don't forget those feelings. It feels so good. And that's good for everybody. Thank you for Valentine's Day, Mother's Day, Teacher's Appreciation Week, Secretary's Day. Everybody likes that. Who doesn't want to feel nostalgic? Remember that time, you know, when the person that you love sent you a little something and you keep it and you tuck it away. Then you pull it out, you reread it, and you giggle. You know, we love feeling like that, you know, all year round. So that's a good quarantine <laughs> gift too. Like you give it, it's like that's a good way to start a collection mm-hmm. during quarantine. I like that. Also, mm-hmm. but you got a, so mm-hmm. many other projects, and I don't feel like we've talked about enough of them about it like stem wire <laughs> and stemacy is are two that i would love for you to talk about so um let's do stem noir first can you talk about that for us absolutely so the ladies of stem noir uh if you don't know them please get to know them okay stem noir ladies are the bomb.com everyone has something so special about them and the really um the fun part for me about getting to know these ladies we're all in different backgrounds it's been so we have biomedical engineering we have people that are doing um plants and plant pathology we have me i'm some of biologists like there's so many different people that we have cancer scientists um we have an analytical physicist i'm sorry an analytical chemist so there's so many different um niches again in stem noir and it, it's a great group of ladies the annual conference is coming up so please stay tuned please follow on instagram and twitter and facebook at stem noir um, so you can keep up to date on everything that's happening with the upcoming conferences happening in July. So, of course, because of COVID, we had to um, cancel last year's conference. And then this year, because we're still dealing with coronavirus, instead of canceling, we decided to just make it virtual instead. We have a lot of awesome things planned for you. Lots of awesome speakers and lots of um, some good girl time. So Black Women in STEM, uh, if you're interested, please, please, please follow at STEM Noir on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook to keep up to date with what, what we're going on, what's, what's going on with us and what we're having. Um, please also sign up for the um, the listserv because the newsletter is coming out. You'll get to know all the happenings, all the ins and outs, and you can follow us, see individual highlights. We highlight a woman in STEM every week. The STEM merch. So um, STEM Noir is doing some really good stuff. 
but please, please, please follow us, subscribe, add yourself to our list. Um, submit your bio, girl. Submit your bio. What are you doing in STEM? Are you popping? What's going on? What kind of research are you doing? Let us know. We can feature you. Get your word out. Spread your word. What you're doing. Where your degrees in. Um, what are you working on right now? What do you want us to know? Are you publishing? L let us celebrate you, sis. Okay. So fill out the bio. Let us know what's going on. We're gonna highlight you. We're gonna tell the world about you. Okay. Me already on my phone, like ready to stock this page because I love this concept. Mm -hmm. I love that you have things coming out, especially this virtual conference. Yes. That is so exciting. Mm -hmm. You already know I'm, I'm about to thank add, you. add you on everything. So. Thank you. <laughs> you. It's going to be good fun. It's going to be good fun. The ladies are great. Everyone's so awesome. I've been inspired by meeting these ladies. And I hope that, you know, we're all getting something from each other. I mean, I know that we are, but it, it's just it's a great group of ladies and the reach has expanded because, you know, the more women we, we like, Hey, come on, come, you know, come on, sis. And so it's, it's a, a wonderful thing to be a part of. And I really hope that more women will join us and that more women will understand that um, celebrating yourself, being who you are. So seminar is not just about, you know, being stuffy and whatnot. We celebrate everybody, you know, we celebrate. So being a black woman in STEM is something to be celebrated, you know, anyway. But come as you are, like, you know, are you, are you in heels? Are you in Tim's? Are you in skirts? Are, are you in jeans? Like, it doesn't matter. Like, what is, what is your, how do you do science? What's your STEM story? What's your her story? We, and, and so last year we did Black Women in STEM Week. Um, Kilan and, and Teresa are the founders of STEM Noir. We did um, Black Women in STEM Week. That was one of the days that we, we highlighted women. How do you do STEM? What's your background? How'd you get here, sis? You know, and you had the opportunity to show, you know, what you, what does STEM look like to you? People are coming out in their best, had their Sunday best on. Some people had, you know, club wear on, but it, it's whatever. It's whatever. And I really enjoy that about, about STEM Noir. Come as you are, be who you are unapologetically in STEM. Amazing. I love that. I love it. And then also, some of you are also doing Stimbacy, which is, if you're not watching yes. Stimbacy, like, I don't, you I don't understand what you're doing with your life. Go, please go click and subscribe. <laughs> Stimbacy is amazing. I, like I said, um, I was telling Chanel earlier, I've been, I've kind of binge watched Stimbacy. So um, can you talk about how that came about? Like how you guys were like, we're going to make a YouTube show because that's something that B-Side definitely has talked about. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering how you guys were like, how did that conversation start? And then how did you guys make it happen? So first, I want to say that Stimacy is actually uh, Raven's concept, Raven the Science Maven. That's, that's her brainchild. And so in the beginning, she was asked her about, you know, the concept for, for the show. But um, so Stimacy is basically where STEM ambassadors meet. And I was on one of the first shows. I was a guest uh, on one of the first shows. And there were two other ladies with me. And so we gelled so well together. We got invited back for the show, then for another show. And so finally, she was like, hey, you know, this is working. We should do this thing. Like, do you guys want to do it? And I was like, absolutely. And, that, and that's how that happened, you know, because being a guest is one thing, but we worked so, so well together. Like, you guys want to do this on a regular? Like, yeah, absolutely. Regular host. And she was like, no, let's, let's do this thing together. And so, so grateful for that opportunity. And we're now on season three. So it's, it's, it's women in STEM. It's doing other people in STEM. And we don't just do women. So we interview men, women, um, race is not an issue. Um, sex and gender is not an issue either. We've had all kinds of people um, 
diverse backgrounds, all kinds of sciences. So we try to get all the STEM, so the, the science, the S, the tech, the T, the engineering, the E, and the, the math for the M. So we try to get everybody in the category. Um, so if you are a STEMer, if you are someone in STEM and you're one of those categories, talk to us. Come talk to us about being on the STEM scene. We'd love to interview you and talk about your science, what you're doing, any side projects you're doing, any philosophy um, work you're working on. You want us to get the word out to know. Um, it's, it's good fun. And we just have a good time. You know, it's a talk show, but it's a good time. We're laughing. We're joking. Talking about current politics. Talking about current happenings. Coronavirus was a big deal when we first started. So, you know, crisis is going on. We talk about everything. You know, so come on the show and tell us about your science on the STEM where STEM ambassadors meet. No. <laughs> Again. And also, I mean, we talked about this before the recording, but they did have Hank Green. And I mean, need I say more? Probably yes. not. <laughs> yes. We had Emily Calandretti and Hank Green. Yeah, we've had a couple people on. And people were like, oh my gosh. And I'm like, but they're people too. <laughs> like, <laughs> they're scientists, but they're people too. So, you know, and I think that's really good too. I think that's really good that, for example, right? So, we were talking earlier, and I've been hearing a lot. People were like, oh my gosh, Hank Green got me through XYZ subject, you know, or like crash course, you know, the best thing ever. And it's really what was fun for me about the episode was that people who were like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, got to see Hank Green in a normal format talking to other people as a normal person. Cause you know, and that's so interesting that we don't get a chance to do that. I'm hoping we can get Bill Nye. Like Bill Nye, you come on the cemetery. Listen, come on, Bill. listen, listen. Like, uh, like listen, so you know. Just hold on, Chanel. Listen, if, if you get day. Bill Nye, <laughs> I hope you. I hope y'all do because yes. all of you guys are like amazing yes. co-hosts. Like when, so when we started, like I'm not gonna lie, like when we started coming out with the idea for B side, and it's like, what are we? How are we gonna go on to YouTube? Like immediately, my mom went to crash course, and then I'm not gonna lie. Like every time we sign off of um, this podcast, if you ever watch any of the crash course videos or the Vlog Brothers YouTube channel, one of the first things that when they sign off, they say, "Don't forget to be awesome." And every time we sign off of B Sciences, I tell people please be scientists. And I'm telling you, that is definitely inspired by that whole line. Mm -hmm. So I like, but, and Bill not like, that was like the first dude like that I saw who was like, that's, I want to be a scientist. Yep. And from there, it just started growing. And like, I really hope you guys. Yeah, I think that was like my, oh yeah. Yeah. Like rolling out the TV and science class. It's a Bill Nye day. Like that's when I was like, oh, science can be fun. What? You know? So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's mm -hmm. Bill Nye's definitely. That big TV came out, you knew what it was. Oh yeah, you already knew. <laughs> and that's all amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, it is. We're coming up close to an hour, and okay, Chanel. I know really? you are lady. definitely a busy lady. So we, we that was so fast. It was super easy. It's just like man, we could listen to you talk all day, but I do want to let you get out of here. Yeah. <laughs> So okay. um, again, like I said, like a couple moments ago, one of the things we do at the end when we have an, uh, a guest on is ask them, how would you inspire people to be scientists? And you've been doing that the whole podcast, but if you can give us just a couple more lines about how do you inspire people <laughs> to be scientists? I think that's super important that when it, it, I'm gonna talk to parents or educators or someone with a, a little one, I call them Melanie Munchkin, Melanie Munchkin in your life somewhere, somehow, right? That's super important 
to engage them. And it's always another question after a question. But why? But why? But why? How does that work? What is this? You got to catch them when they're in that phase, you know, because we're all, we're all inquisitive at that age, right? We're all scientists. That's what scientists are. We're inquisitive. We want to know why. There are STEM concepts in it. And when you get kids engaged, they start asking questions. It's like a little science in the back and everything. So, you know, when they're asking those questions, engage them in that, you know, or, or give them a little, give them a book, give them a little, a little science or a STEM box. You know, they make those too. Get them a little something or give them some guided inquiry. If they ask you a question, they're like, hey, you know what? Why don't you go tell me how that works? You know what I mean? Why don't you go tinker with that a little bit and come back and tell me how that works? You engage them and, and support them, you know, and kind of maybe not give them the answers, but give them that little bit of guided inquiry so they understand how things work. Because now you're doing things like problem solving. Now you're creating a free thinker. Now you're creating someone that can actually, or, or I shouldn't say creating, but you are mentoring and you are fostering someone who can go through the scientific process, that method. They're not even, they don't realize they're even doing it, but they're doing it on their own. They grow up to be scientists. And, and maybe they don't, maybe they don't, but does it hurt that you have someone who's grown up that understands how to go through a process does that hurt anything if they don't become a scientist no so either way scientists or non-scientists go through that process you got a, a well-rounded person anyway which so you can do it anyway 100 <laughs> percent agree. and hope you become scientists right 100 percent agree man this is a great episode yes i all i want to add is that i hope we get to have you back on the show because you have such a great way Yay. of speaking you are just all around amazing we're just so lucky to have you <laughs> what more can i say besides thank you thank you thank you uh for coming on and, and speaking with us uh with what i know is a busy schedule mm-hmm. but yeah i just want to say thank you <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Uh, could you tell us your um, social media hashtags or at least or your um, social media profiles? So it is. So on IG, I am at the public health bay. On Twitter, I am at capital G underscore protein. Because, you know, G protein. And <laughs> and the hashtags that I use are public health bay, um, public health squad and black girls in STEM. I also use Melanie the Munchkins, but I use that for when I talk about kid stuff. I've really tried to move away from doing solely children's science now. I'm getting more into community science and, and the diaspora and more into public health disparities and science policy. So you won't see me use melanin mushrooms too much anymore. But if you do use the hashtag, you can find past things that I've done as far as working with, um, with kids, like with Cool Progeny, like with No Little Scientists, like with the Lewis Museum. So I'll put that there. Dope. Well, all right. So, man... Again, amazing episode. <laughs> I'm so happy we had you on here. Super inspiring. Um, we're going to get out of here. And please, people, please be scientists, and we'll catch you next time. Be Scientist is a podcast by the Black Science Coalition and Institute, or BSI, a 501c3 nonprofit. Be Scientist is hosted by both Jenna Carpenter, chemist, and BSI's research and development officer, and Jordan Chapman, geoarchaeologist and BSAS president. Music is produced by Delarallo and lyrics are by Ed Jenna. Special thanks to Michael Mike Captain Marshall and the Plaza Abbey Studios. If you'd like to donate to BSI, visit our official website, bsci.org. That's b-sci.org. Your donation supports the B-Scientists and BSI's other projects. We couldn't do it without you. So please tune in next time and always be scientists.